0: Hello, and welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their communities. The host of the Organizing for Change podcast is the coalition coordinator for Avon, Massachusetts, Amanda Decker. Thank you for listening. Hey, everybody. My name is Ed Rand. I am one of the producers of the Organizing for Change podcast, and this is episode 23 of our podcast. Uh, This month, Amanda got a chance to talk with Kendra McLaughlin, she is the Director of Health Education for the Garrett County Health Department in Oakland, Maryland. Uh, They got to talk a little bit about the viral PSA video that Kendra and her group made, uh, which if you have not seen it, you can find it at spreadthefacts.com. And Then they also talked a little bit about some facts and information about marijuana and how to do coalition prevention work. So it's a great conversation with a lot of really good information. Hopefully you really enjoy it. If you did uh, find the information useful and you enjoyed it, please take a moment to share this podcast with a colleague or a friend because that way they can use the information to do better coalition work in their communities. So without further ado, here is Amanda's discussion with Kendra McLaughlin.
1: So welcome, Kendra McLaughlin, to the Organizing for Change podcast. We're so excited to have you on. And I'm honored to be invited. Thank you for asking me. No problem. Uh, I wanted people to know kind of how we discovered you. Um, Our coalition discovered you because you guys put out an incredible video that kind of went viral. So I'd love for you to start off (laughs) and uh, let the audience know just about the video and kind of you know, how it came to be, and then we'll talk a little bit about your drug-free communities grant and kind of what you guys are up to now.
2: Okay. So the video that you're talking about was uh, something that we came up with last spring for National Prevention Week. And during that week, we try to highlight uh, different prevention topics each day. And I was trying to come up with something, different and something kind of catchy that had to do with marijuana prevention other than handing out a flyer or doing a newspaper article. And so I was just working in my office and looking at different campaigns that people had done. And at that time, I had seen on Facebook where somebody was, they were saying something and It was just a series of, it was like a video with them holding up signs and I thought that's it. That's what we can do. It's really simple but a good way to get our message out. So I worked on the message and we wanted the message to target other teenagers um, for marijuana prevention and it's a really tough topic for teenagers because Um, you have to have the right words, and it has to be kind of cool and sexy. And um, we just thought, okay, the perception of most of our teenagers is that marijuana is okay. It's not a big deal. So we worked our message around addressing that misperception. And we knew that it needed to be kind of short and simple. So we came up with about ten little cue cards that we put our message on, and then we were trying to think about. When I say we, I'm talking about the other um, drug-free community staff here in our agency. Then we talked about uh, who are we going to get to deliver the message, and we're a small enough community here in our county that we're all kind of connected. So I have a son that plays baseball, and um, my husband is an assistant coach, and so that's the reason we chose that team. Um, to deliver the message. So I just went to the team and I talked to the team ahead of time and said, this is the message we're delivering. This is where we're delivering the message. And I'd like you all to be a part of it if you're interested. But I also gave them the option to step out if they didn't want to be on our video. So they all agreed and um, we just filmed it right after baseball practice one day. Um, and then we, had, we posted it on our Facebook page. And honestly, we thought that um, it, it might do well here in our county. Um, we were thinking if we got 1,000 likes, that would be great. And it went way, way beyond anything that we, we could imagine. So um, it far surpassed our expectations. There was a lot of um, oh, discussion, discussion. Um, feedback about it here at our local level. And then we also got, you know, attention all around the country, people inquiring about um, what we do and how we did it, how we came up with it. And we got some negative feedback, people who don't agree with our message. And we knew that we would. And that was okay, too, because at least they're talking about the message. So that kind of gives you an idea about how the video came about, I think, the does that answer yeah, your question?
1: I, I just, uh, another question to piggyback onto that. So when you did get any negative feedback, what kinds of ways did you respond, or what did the kids think about any of the negative feedback, or was that kind of not passed down to them?
2: Well, they could see some of it um, at At our agency, we did not respond to it because we didn't want to get into a war war on words. We just let them say what they wanted to say. and um, They did say there were a couple comments uh, that pointed to the kids, like that maybe they didn't lead a healthy lifestyle, and we we were able to take those off because we didn't want the kids to be affected negatively by it. Aside from that, though, we just let them say what they wanted to, and then it kind of took care of itself because we got way more positive comments than we did negative. And so people would say positive things and kind of negate the negative. So we didn't actually have to do anything.
1: I think that's really important for people to keep in mind that when you're speaking out, these messages you are going to get some pushback but again i think it's wise uh, that you guys didn't respond to them and also you know you believe in what you're saying and it's true so right um you know being willing to go forward so i think that's fantastic i noticed um on your your statistics it said on your website uh, you had a poster that 83 percent of the young people in your community, don't smoke weed. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know about that statistic. How did you all come up with that? And, um, you know, why is it important to spread that message? So that comes from
2: our youth risk behavior survey that is done in our schools every two years. And all of our students who are there on the day of the survey administration take it in the 6th grade through 12th grade. 83% is all of our high school students, and we, when we uh, have promoted that number, we've also gotten a lot of um, pushback because people say, oh, kids don't tell the truth, it's way higher than that, and our response to them has always been, well, if they're not telling the truth on the survey, then they've been lying the same way for the last 15 years because our data has been very stable. Um, for 15 years, so uh, it's hard to, for them to to argue with that fact. Um, and we use that. We try to promote some of the positive because uh, usually you hear people talk about how bad things are. So everybody smokes weed. Um, All my friends smoke weed. And so we're trying to give the flip message that it doesn't bear out with the data. And actually most high school students are not smoking weed and trying to portray that uh, you can be in the majority by not smoking weed.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important, giving young people permission and letting them know that it's okay to say, no, not everybody is doing something. I think that's powerful. Exactly. Um, One of the things that we were talking a little bit about, too, is so we are in year 10 of our Drug-Free Communities grant funding, and I noticed that you all are in year 10 as well, and I was just thinking about, you know, the the, uh, the changes that we've made from when we started till now, just the difference in our community, the difference in our strategies. And I was just wondering if you could comment a little bit on just how has the coalition changed over the 10 years? What kinds of things you've learned? Uh, would you do anything
2: differently? That kind of thing. Mm, good question. Um, so yes, we are in our 10th year also of our Drug-Free Communities grant. And we started out as segregated committees Uh, So we used to have a tobacco-free coalition and a drug and alcohol council and an underage drinking committee, but it was the same people who, most of the same people were on each committee. And we decided early on with our uh, drug-free communities grant that we needed to combine those coalitions and work more effectively. And so we did that, like, in our first or second year, and we've been operating as a combined coalition since then, and that was a really positive change. So our attendance has improved a lot because people now don't have to go to three meetings a month, they just go to Mm -hmm. one, um, and they're able to keep up with that. It has also allowed us to to do a better job of capitalizing on the – combined drug message, so it doesn't have to be a message just on marijuana. We can do a message that talks about um, marijuana at the same time as alcohol, so how the two of those relate, why um, they are worse together, that kind of thing. And by having our whole uh, Drug-Free Community Coalition there together instead of at three separate meetings, we do a better job of combining our messages and not duplicating things. So we've definitely seen improvement as far as that goes. Uh, the other thing that has changed in a good way, in my opinion, over the last 10 years is our Drug-Free Community Coalition began as a group of stakeholders who who were all representing an agency and as a meeting that happened at lunchtime. And we, about halfway through when we started our second round of funding, the second five years. Uh, we decided that we wanted to have a more action oriented group of volunteers, so the one the group that was meeting who were all the stakeholders they will provide direction, but they didn't want to really get their hands dirty. so we started uh, having evening meetings and we were a really rurally spread out community so um my cohort and I went around to the communities all over the county and did presentations about um, the drug problems in our county and how you get involved. And so we started what we now call our action teams. So it's just an extension of our Drug-Free Communities Coalition. Our action teams are really grassroots volunteers. We meet in the evening once a month, and they are the people who who really want to be busy. They want to be active. So they're the ones who are at the health fairs and they're actually, um, they've formed a speakers bureau and they do presentations for us Um, when we have events. They're the people who come out and man the events. And I think that's been a a real positive for us. And then as far as making changes in the community, we we monitor the past 30-day use through our Youth Risk Behavior Survey, and we're really proud of the changes that we've seen in alcohol, cigarettes, marijuana, and prescription drugs across the board. We've seen a decrease in the past 30-day use. And that makes us really happy because you know we're at a time when, uh, when marijuana is being legalized and it's hard just mm-hmm. to maintain the status quo. And we have an opioid epidemic going on, but we've been able to actually reduce our numbers, not just maintain them, but reduce them. And so we're really proud and we are all the time reminding our volunteers that what they do is important and it matters. They're making a difference.
1: That's fantastic. I loved one of the quotes that you had on your website. It said holding young people solely responsible for substance use is like holding fish responsible for dying in a polluted pond. (laughs) And I think this speaks a lot to the work that you do. So tell us a little bit about um, how you improve the polluted pond. So what kinds of things are you doing instead of just Um, Like, a lot of times in communities, people want to just make consequences stricter for the young people. Right, right. Yeah, so tell us kind of what the different groups in your community have done and, you know, what different things you've done that's contributed to that decrease in youth use of substances. Um,
2: Some of the strategies that we've used that have led to... um, success, let's start with um, prescription drugs. So uh, since we received our Drug-Free Communities grant, we have been able to put three permanent drug disposal boxes in our county, um, and every year we uh, promote our drug take-back programs with the goal of moving expired and unwanted medications out of the home so they're, easier, or they're less accessible for use. Our sheriff's office, our state police, our city police have been great partners with that. Uh, We've also worked with our health care providers in making changes to the way they prescribe medications um, and the way they educate um, their patients. They also have started using the prescription drug monitoring program. Um, statewide in Maryland, that's something that's kind of new. And so we've tried to work with our healthcare providers to educate them about the purpose of that prescription drug monitoring program, and it's a little extra work for them, but they're beginning to see the value in it because if they can cut down on doctor shopping, then they don't have patients who are coming in and expecting prescriptions when they know that there's a program now that can tell pe- tell their providers that they've been shopping around. Um, as far as marijuana goes, we have worked with three different towns or municipalities in our county to enact ordinances that restrict the location of marijuana dispensaries and Maryland uh, medical marijuana is legal but not recreational at this point so uh, some of our staff and our volunteers began doing presentations around the county when when um, medical marijuana became legal and explaining to the towns what it meant and as a result of that they enacted ordinances to restrict the marijuana dispensaries and we were really excited that um, one town had a dispensary that wanted to move just outside of the town limits so the ordinance didn't apply but the uh, town the residents who were going to be beside the dispensary got together and, and through a grassroots movement, they worked uh, with us a little bit, um, with their town, uh, with their legislators, and we were able to keep the dispensary not only out of the community, but they moved their license to another county. So wow. that was a huge success for just the, the voices of people from a neighborhood who, who didn't want to stand for that. Sure. With alcohol, we have uh, worked really well with our liquor control board here. Um, The the administrator is a member of our coalition and she's very, very faithful at at coming and at hearing feedback and input from members. And because of her willingness to listen, we started working closely with her and the liquor control board, which is uh, a volunteer board, has made numerous changes to their policies that has restricted um, alcohol sales. For example, um, they, they, in the last couple of years, uh, requested that they be able to deliver alcohol. So you can call and order alcohol from a store and they would deliver it. And while we weren't crazy about that idea, we were at least able to work with the Liquor Control Board to convince them to put some restrictions on that, like um, who's allowed to deliver the alcohol and how they have to be trained in responsible beverage service uh, before they can give the alcohol to whomever it is that ordered it. Uh, they've made all kinds of policy changes with regard to community events that where they serve alcohol. Um, they require now that somebody in the, we have a lot of volunteer groups that sponsor events and they serve alcohol mm-hmm. to bring people in. For example, they might have like a big bucks bingo and have alcohol at the event. Um, or our fire departments have uh, like an Octoberfest celebration and it's all about alcohol. Well, our Liquor Control Board has put some stipulations on those events. For example, they have to have a minimum of, I don't remember if it's three or five, of their volunteers who are trained in responsible beverage training, Um, and it didn't used to be that way. They have to um, use wristbands to identify their uh, over-21 group, Um, Just things like that. So we feel like those are the types of community-level strategies or organizational-level strategies that have helped us to achieve some of those outcomes that so I hear. with you. those
1: outcomes, you know, don't come overnight. There's an awful lot of work that has to so go in behind the scenes in order to make an outcome like that happen, right. do you want to talk a little bit about some of the collaboration and how you were able to bring different partners to the table to really work on these different things and
2: just what that process looked like? Yeah, that's a that's a good point too, uh, because. You receive a small amount of funding, I mean it's a significant amount of funding, but you have to really stretch that to achieve a community level impact, and that's the beauty of coalition building. So when we have um, our meetings every month, we have um, 20 to 25 people that are there very regularly, and it's because of those people that we can affect this type of change. So if we didn't have our sheriff, um, actually it's the sheriff himself who sits on our committee um, and a trooper from the state police, and if they weren't on this Drug-Free Communities Coalition, we wouldn't have the drug disposal boxes in their agency. Uh, we have three physicians that are on our Drug-Free Communities Coalition, uh, as well as uh, physician's assistant, and they've been instrumental in helping us make changes at our hospital and with all the rest of the primary care providers uh, regarding prescription drugs. Um, We have a good relationship, as I mentioned, with our liquor control board. Um, We have also worked hard to know our mayors and town council members and to try to keep them updated as new drug trends hit our communities, and as a result of that, they've been very willing to work with us when it comes to things like ordinances to restrict marijuana use, or putting policies in place for their town parks just to restrict tobacco use at their park. Um, And they've come to depend on us to get that information to them. Our state's attorney is the chair of our coalition, And she has been incredible at making change happen. I really can't say enough about her. Um, And and another thing that our grant has provided or facilitated for us is training. Mm -hmm. So we have offered training opportunities to our members. And last year, for example, our state's attorney um, took us up on the offer to go to the National Prescription Drug and Heroin Summit. And as a result of her attending that, she came back just on fire for change in our community and has led a call to action that has extended over the last four or five months and is still growing. Um, So we've had some major events. We've had town hall meetings with 100 to 150 people showing up. Um, meetings with the faith community and the business community to figure out what they can do to help us address the opioid problems in our county. And, And it all started from inviting our members to attend training with us and then they go to these types of conferences and come back with the same excitement that we have as staff members. And it's just incredible the way that you can expand your work and extend your work by having these volunteers from your coalition who get excited about what you're doing.
1: Wow, that's fantastic. I was just thinking about uh, when I, I sit back and I look at all the successes, I also think about some of the challenges that helped us to grow too. And I was wondering, you know, what challenges did your coalition encounter? And you know, kind of how your group overcame those challenges, or did you find out that most things were kind of easy, that people bought into what you were doing, and it tended to be a little bit easier?
2: Oh, no, I think there were definitely challenges all along the way. Um, One of them I sort of alluded to was we were a little frustrated in the first five years that all of our coalition members just wanted to come to our lunchtime meetings, and it was really hard to get them to do anything beyond their normal work day and So we set out in the second five years of our grant to try to change that and as I mentioned to you i my coworker and I kind of took our show on the road. We did this traveling presentation, went to all the communities and tried to get people interested in um, our topics and get the action team started. So uh, it did work. It took us a good two years to get people to start coming to those and to get excited about what we were doing. Some of it was because of our hard work, and some of it was just by chance because of the opioid epidemic, and people around us were really being affected by um, the problems related to opioid abuse, and they wanted to figure out how they could get involved. So it was a little bit of luck and a little bit of hard work, um, and we've overcome that challenge and feel like we have a great volunteer base now that always wants to be involved. I'd say another challenge for us is um, the the marijuana issue. So it's really divided for what I hear is very divided as far as people who are for and who are against marijuana. And usually we have a lot of common ground. People just don't realize because um, we have a lot of education to do with regard to marijuana and its usefulness for medical purposes. Um, and what I mean by that is our message has been that you really don't need to smoke your medicine, that there is legitimate medical use, but it should go through a pharmacy, should be prescribed by a doctor, should come in a uh, controlled, um, pill form.
1: Sure.
2: So when we start to talk to people about that, then we find some common ground, but, um, it's a slow process, uh, trying to educate people and, and get them to understand what the issues are, what the, what the facts and the fiction are around the issue of marijuana. And so we're, we're, we're fighting that battle, and we're trying to find the right way to approach it uh, so that we're not uh, turning people away with our message, um, but drawing people in because they want to know more. Sure. And and that's been a little challenging to figure out what is the right message to keep people interested in what we have to say.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a question everyone who works in this field needs to continually ask. I think that's so important. Um, So we've flown by uh, and our time has just, you know, disappeared. So I just wanted to know (laughs) if you had any last words for our listeners and just any advice that you would want to leave them with especially for some of those folks who are new to prevention um, and are just starting in this work so any piece of advice or last
2: words (laughs) I feel like really I learn from other people much more than I give but I guess my my words of advice would be for anybody listening that um, no matter who it is that is involved or not involved Um, you should never discount what they may be able to offer. Even if they come across as not agreeing with your message, um, you may be able to take what they're telling you and use it to do your job better. Um, And we've also learned that so many people don't think they have something to offer, but that's never the case. They always have something that we can use when it comes to the prevention work that we do, whether it's stapling papers together, being a speaker for an event, handing out brochures. Um, There's always something that we can find for volunteers to do uh, if they will give us the time. And they usually want to help once you invite them. You can never, we found that you couldn't just send something out in the mail and expect people would come. You actually had to go to them and say, I would like for you to help me do this, and then they have a hard time turning you down.
1: Wow, that's great advice. Wow, thank you so much, Kendra. I really appreciate your words of wisdom and best wishes as you uh, continue to do this great work long after uh, the DFC funding is gone.
2: Thank you. It's really nice that you all are doing what you're doing, so you share the work everybody else is doing. That's a great idea.
1: Thank you so much. You have a great rest of your afternoon.
2: All right. All right. Thanks, Amanda. No problem.
0: For more information from today's podcast, check out our show notes. There you can find our contact information, social media, and website. Please get in touch with us if you have any comments or questions. And if you like today's podcast, please share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.